Today's scripture passage comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 through 8. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? Hear now the word of the Lord. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God, and that in this matter no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God, the very God who gives you his Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Good afternoon, everybody. It's good to be here. Um, before I begin, I just wanted to um, share that one of our brothers, uh, Billy, that many of us know and whom we've had fellowship for many years in this church, his father passed away this Wednesday. And I just want to, before I start, take time out to pray for him. Uh, he played football with us and uh, he came every Sunday when he was in Jersey. He recently moved to Queens, and so it's harder for him to come out. But um, can we offer up a prayer for him and his family um, as his father passed this past Wednesday? And let's ask God to be his comfort and to be his um, solace in this great time of need and grief for him and his family. Let's take time to pray. Lord, we want to thank you first for the life of a brother whom we love, whom we've had the opportunity to have fellowship with, to enjoy moments together because of his um, just wonderful character and nature about him. And we know that he couldn't have been who he was without his father. And Lord, I just want to, and we just want to lift up a prayer uh, for Billy and his family. As they have suffered this great loss, Lord, we ask that you would continue to minister to them, be their comfort and give them peace. I pray that in this dark time that you would be a hope that would be available to them, that then when they reach out in prayer, you would reach out and hold them close to you during this grieving period, during this dark time for them. So we ask that you would hear our prayers on his behalf, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And what wasn't in the announcements was, and but it is in the calendar, 
is that this Friday we are going to have a Good Friday service here in this chapel at 8 o'clock p.m. Uh, it is in the calendar, so please do join us as we uh, gather together to worship and remember what was done for us on the cross of Christ. And because of this whole season of Lent, if you don't know already, we have been going through the seven deadly sins, which we call killjoys. And we call these killjoys because they are deceitful. Because they try to convince us that this is the way we can attain happiness. But the more we try, the more joy eludes us. And in fact... It is a great deceit that is in these seven killjoys. And this week, we are looking at the final killjoy. We are looking at lust. And there is this one writer, Drew Anderson, who wrote about his experience. And he wrote, While my wife and I were shopping at a mall kiosk, a shapely young woman in a short, form-fitting dress strolled by. My eyes followed her. Without looking up from the item she was examining, my wife asked, was it worth the trouble you're in? You know, we can say lust is, we can say we have a lust for power, we can say we have a lust for other things, but for all intents and purposes, what we are going to talk about is the sexual sin of lust. The Bible, as we have learned in Ephesians teaches us that sex is actually holy. And in this passage, sex is holy and it honors your spouse, the partner that God has given you. And it honors God. So sex is holy and it honors. So what is lust? What does it do? What's it really do? How do we fight against it? What does it do? Every year during the Super Bowl, Whenever we have a church gathering, at times it gets uncomfortable for me because there are at least a couple of commercials where I have to avert my eyes because it is inappropriate. In fact, it's so prevalent in our society that we should be used to these images that if you don't think that, if you actually don't think this way and you think it is abnormal people think you're abnormal people think you're a prude you're a weirdo in fact if you don't accept this it can be argued that even weirdos accept it you're worse than a weirdo i remember having a conversation with um a former convict and we were just having a conversation he had gotten out of jail and um we were just talking, and he would not believe that there would be a man that didn't look at pornography. Just couldn't believe it. There is no absolute way, absolutely no way, that there could be a person that exists, let alone in the person in front of me, let alone in you. And he was just in that total worldview that everybody has adopted to this lustful way of looking at life. There isn't a time when on Facebook, if you scroll down, that you wouldn't see an inappropriate ad or someone that liked it and their account gets hacked. 
and then, then you say, that's what you get. Um, anyway. But we are in a society that says, you're worse than a weirdo. You're weirder than a weirdo if you don't accept this. Why don't you? And a lot of you know my testimony. And after we had a great day on the floor, on the trading floor, it would be normal to just go to perhaps a strip club afterwards. And I would be the only one uninvited uh, because they knew that I was worse than a weirdo. And they didn't. But now how we have convinced ourselves is that you are worse because you are actually hindering our progress. And you might be wondering, what, what, what is he talking about? And there is a sentiment out there now that says people, women, men, whatever, should be able to enjoy their own body. In fact, if you tell me what to do with my body, that's wrong. Let people do what they want with their body, and whatever they want to do with it, that's fine because it's their body, and there is always some kind of talk about that. It's theirs. So let them do what they want. The Bible actually teaches us the opposite from this. In the passage today, the Bible is teaching us to control our body. Not to do whatever we want with it, but to have it submit. And if you really look at the Greek, uh, the Greek literal translation, it's to acquire an instrument. Um, we've translated it, control your body. It, it, the literal translation is instrument, and then the next word is acquired, or vessel and given. So we've been given this vessel. We've acquired this instrument. Some, some translations actually have it as take a wife. But other translations have control your body. But I believe it's the same kind of spirit that is in both translations. And that is we have been given something. We have been given this body, and if we're married, we're joined with our partner. So we have been given a spouse, right? And so we need to be able to be holy and be honorable. And the opposite is like just to do what the pagans do. And think about it. If we say we can do whatever we want with what we have acquired because it is mine, what am I saying? It's like saying, I can give you any kind of tool or instrument. Although people don't want to be referred to as tools and instruments. But for this um, example, I want to show you that we have been given this that we can use. Perhaps like an instrument. And so, you can be given a chainsaw. If you're given a chainsaw, you cannot go out into the streets and say, this is my chainsaw. And then rev up the engine and do whatever you want with the chainsaw. The chainsaw is a powerful tool. And it can, it can be useful. It can be used to help society. It can be used to help your neighbor. In fact, if you do have a chainsaw and you want to come to my house, I have three trees that need to be taken down, but I heard it's very expensive to take down. So you can help me with your chainsaw. But you can't go around and do whatever you want with that chainsaw just because it's your chainsaw. You cannot. 
I would argue that the body is even more incredible, wonderful, powerful than that, like a chainsaw. And we have been given this instrument, this vessel to use. And God says, use it to honor and to be holy. So sex, as God intended it, is to be holy and to honor your spouse. So what's lust? Lust is sex without these two things. Lust is sex without holiness. And lust is sex without honor. So what does lust do? It first does not honor Because when we are supposed to honor our spouse, God is the one, we realize, God is the one that created the institution of marriage. He put a man and a woman together to make a lifelong covenant with each other to be faithful and to love till, and we all know this, till death do you part. Lust says, I want to satisfy my sexual desire with you. What's number one? isn't a spouse now. It's my sexual desire. And I don't want to use my body to honor you, but I want to use your body to satisfy my need. And what actually happens then is what we are really saying. If we go deep down into what this is saying is, I do not want the whole you. I just want the part which satisfies me. So I don't want you. And in fact, it's a huge dishonor to do that to someone you claim to love. It is. Because what we want in love, and we know this because we're romantics, when we, what we want is love is the whole person. And the Bible is teaching us you cannot honor the whole person outside of what God instituted as marriage. And so when we are doing these, these things, we constantly, consistently Try to make excuses. Say, no, but I will eventually marry her. And we say that for like the last five people we've been with. It is a huge dishonor. And when we dishonor, who are we dishonoring? We are actually dishonoring our brother, our sister. When God created us to be a family... He created us, and we have become heirs, right? We have become his sons and daughters. What does that make each and every single one of us? It makes us sisters and brothers. And there is one part where he may take two people and join them together, but for the rest of us, we are supposed to consider each other like that, like sisters and brothers. Would you want your brother or your sister to be in that kind of relationship that you are contriving in your head, that you are making excuses for. And when we actually dishonor our brother and our sister, who are we truly dishonoring? We are dishonoring the maker. We watch and we do things that we would never want done to our sister. Never, our mother, brother, or any other family member. And yet we've come to the place where we don't think twice when it comes to the people we are dishonoring. Rather than giving God glory by using what was given to us to properly edify the other, 
we give luster reigns to our lives, to our bodies, and desecrate God's holy temple. So what's the big deal? Come on. All this is Christianese words. I don't know what you're talking about, Pastor Eugene. What's going on? What's the big deal? Even if you don't believe this entirely, and you should, but if, if you don't, let's say you're in a place that you don't, I just like to say that lust has captured our minds and our souls. It's used to entice us into desiring things totally unrelated to even sex. Do you see the, just the absurdity in that? In, that, in just that statement alone, you would feel like that's absurd. It, that's absurd. But lust has, u- has captured us. And because it has captured us, it's using us now to even want other things totally unrelated to sex. Going, going back to commercials, look at Carl's Jr. It's a burger. But every single commercial they do, it's someone that they present in a very sexual manner, eating the burger or something like that. Um, a website, a domain name site, GoDaddy is famous for that. And now we have made those two things synonymous with sex. Do you see what the marketing campaign has done? Those two items, it's not about, you know, this is so good because of this. This is okay, but the commercial has made it so that these themes now coincide. It's not just those two things, but I've seen commercials from Sheba Cat Food, the Beats Pills um, commercial for their speaker. For a restaurant guide, for sparkling water, for Perrier, for energy drinks, for Skechers, sneakers. If you think about it and you pull those things aside, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. But then if you remember those commercials, you know exactly what I am talking about. When I was in Egypt, um, I came to a place And as soon as our van took us to this place in Egypt, I almost fainted because of the smell. The smell was terrible. And some people have gone to the Philippines where they've gone to these uh, garbage landmines, like just landfills, excuse me. And this was where all of Egypt would place their garbage and I was driving by, and it was the most horrendous smell. We had to close the windows. But what's amazing about the human body is we actually get used to it. So after about 30 minutes, it's like, what smell? And then the next day you go back, and you're like, I'm about to faint, right? Um, anyway, that, that's really interesting about the human body, isn't it? Uh, when I went to this landfill where there's just garbage and garbage everywhere, uh, it was terrible, but it would just be mountains of garbage. Uh, there is actually a community that lives there that lives off that garbage. So they sift through all the garbage, they find what they can use or sell, and that's how they live. Um, that community is Christian. A large part of that community is Christian. That community is Christian still today because they have a history. And there was a man, and I forget his name now. Perhaps if I look back in my journal, I can, come, I can remember it. But he was their hero. He was their hero. Because when 
when Jesus, Jesus says it actually twice in the book of Matthew, in Mark he says it once, and um, he says, if your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. You guys remember this one, right? If your right hand causes you to cut it off, because it's better to go off, go to heaven without a right eye or a hand than to burn in hell. So it, that's, a, that's a pretty serious statement, but he's just making an example. Um, it's a hyperbole, right? He doesn't literally want you guys to gouge out your eyes. Otherwise, we'd all be blind right now um, just to get to heaven. But it's a hyperbole just to show you the seriousness of what our actions, when we put our eyes to something, how it affects our soul. You know, people say the eyes are the windows to the soul, right? And so it's a hyperbole just to show the seriousness. But this man in Egypt, he took it quite literally, and he gouged down his eye and because he loved Christ. And they remember him as a hero. To me, that was fascinating. But the story goes on. Um, when a conqueror came to Egypt, he was Muslim. And he said, you all, this, this town needs to convert to Islam or we're going to kill you all. But I've read in the Bible and just curious, they said, if you have faith like a, mount, like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So you know what? I'm not going to kill you all if you can move this mountain. And he said it as uh, perhaps as a joke or just to taunt the Christians in the area. Well, this man actually prayed. And this is their legend. This is their history. Because they pray, because he prayed, the mountain started to move. And because the mountain started to actually move, that conqueror, the, the Muslim conqueror said, please, please stop praying. Please stop from the mountain from moving. You guys can live as Christians in this community. And that is why they still hold worship to Jesus Christ. And that's how they remember this is my heritage. This is my heritage of a man who saved us because of his faith. Um, Honestly, when I was there, as soon as I walked in, I couldn't get enough Purell on my hands. We couldn't bring enough Purell. So we're like, we pass around the Purell and we'd be out of bottles by the end of the day. But there was one fascinating thing. Um, they honored the, their faith so much, if, if I may say it like that, that even though they lived in garbage, there was a place that where they worshipped. Um, it's like like this place, right? We have a place of worship. But here's the thing about this place. It's beautiful. This is a very beautiful place. But when I walk around and I see um, a bulletin on the floor, I see a lot of people just pass by it. They don't go and pick it up. Maybe one or two of us, we actually pass by. When I go to the bathroom and I see... Um, Toilet paper all over the floor, sometimes used, I don't know. Uh, people don't do anything. But if you think about it, and I thought about it, what if this was my house? Would I pick that up? If there were, if there were some stuff on the toilet seat, would I just move on or would I clean it, right? If this was my house. And I've tried to think about it like that when I come to this place. We have recycling bins now, and we've had it for about a month or two. And every once in a while, I look in the recycling bins, and people just put their half-drunk coffee cups inside the recycling bin. The coffee cups are styrofoam. They don't belong in any recycling bin, let alone should you put coffee in there and then put it in. So 
how we treat this place was in huge contrast to what I saw in Egypt. Even though they lived in garbage and it smelled horrible, horrible. I, I could tell you stories afterwards about what I saw them do, even how they made their dinner. It was crazy. But when I walked into their place of worship, it was spotless. I could eat off the chair. It was swept. It was always clean. There was no dust on. It was all stone. It was beautifully carved. There were like carvings all over the walls. And it was absolutely spotless. That's how they regarded their faith. That's how they expressed it. By really honoring everything God has given them. And so... You can see that maybe this is a small thing where we think lust isn't that big of a deal. But I would say for this man, what he did carried and saved the whole gener- multiple generations of Christians. And this is not a very popular story. But I, I'm probably, I can assume now that if you Google it, you can probably find some information on it now. Um, just to make sure, you know. He passed Eugene in check, so he's not making or embellishing anything. That's cool. But that small thing you would think is small, but it is not. It is not. It's huge. It affects what we do in the bigger picture. We want to be able to move mountains, but we can't stay our eyes away from the things that we should. Or we can't give in to these desires when we should. In fact, Jesus does say if you've lusted after someone, you've already committed adultery. And now look at the state that we are in as a society where more and more adultery is not that big of a deal. Unless, unless he's a pastor, then you're like, oh, big deal. But for me, I'm not a pastor. Thank God I'm not a pastor, so I can do anything I want. I think that's ridiculous. Lust is not the result of an overactive sex drive. It's not a biological phenomenon or a byproduct of our glands. And if it were, if it were, then once we have this sexual experience, it would have quenched our appetite, so to speak. Just like if you're thirsty, you drink a cup of water, you're satisfied. If you're hungry, you eat a meal. And you're satisfied. But lust and giving into lust does not satisfy you, your appetite. In fact, the more you give into lust, the bigger your appetite becomes because lust becomes more and more demanding on your life, on your soul. Eventually, you will find that there is not enough pornography or erotica in this world to satisfy your lustful, insatiable appetite. So when, as Christians, we say, stand up, fight, brother, fight, sister, we are not saying repress a legitimate drive. What we are saying is that this is an aberration to the truth. It is death to you. So when we deny, we're not saying become sexless saints or monk or nun, but we are saying that when we deny it, what we are actually doing is we, be, we are becoming fully alive to God. You see, all these kill joys are killing joy quite literally. 
And when we deny it, when we say no to these things, we are saying no to the things that will kill our joy so that we can have joy. If you really want a full, uninhibited expression of your sexual being, then we say, give it to God. And God gives us the context of marriage. And if you really want to know more, then you can look up the marriage sermon that I have online. But there is something that we need to realize. How bad and how prevalent this is. There is a story of, of any other killjoys, but especially lust. There's a story about how an Eskimo kills a wolf. wolf. Wolves are dangerous. And this is a little bit uh, gory, grisly. But first... What the Eskimo does is he takes his knife and he coats it with blood. And some of you may know this. And because it's cold, the blood freezes on the knife. What he does is he continues to add layer of blood over the knife. And then it freezes and then he adds another layer of blood. And then it freezes until the knife or the blade is completely sealed in this blood, in this frozen blood. What the hunter does next is he takes the knife and he plants it uh, by the handle from ground up into the ground, right? Uh, the blade up, excuse me. And then he leaves. That's all he does. When the wolf comes by, he smells the scent of blood because his nose is sensitive and he knows that this is blood and he discovers the bait. What he starts doing, he starts licking it and he's tasting fresh blood. And the wolf starts to lick faster, faster, more vigorously, he starts lapping the blade until the keen edge becomes bare. Feverishly, the wolf, you can see, starts licking the blade. Harder and harder, the wolf starts licking the blade. He doesn't notice the razor-sharp sting of the blade because he is now in a feverish mode of licking this blood, but he is actually now tasting his own blood, his carnivorous appetite just wants him to crave more and more. And in, by, the, by dawn, uh, the Eskimo hunter will find him dead in the snow. It's a fearful thing that people can be consumed by their own lusts. But we have to realize that God gives us grace. Grace to keep us from this wolf's fate. So how do you fight it? It's so important that we see wisdom in what has been given to us all throughout the Bible. And there is one key element in Genesis where Joseph is seduced by Potiphar's wife. And what he did was he avoided it. He ran. Yes, sometimes we may look stupid. We may look weak, but sometimes you have to avert your eyes. Sometimes you have to run. He kept himself pure because he knew that God had a plan for him. He knew that this plan was greater than him giving into one night, one moment of this sin of lust. And he didn't want anything to stop him from following God. Many of us have failed and we know the outcome of failing when we give in to sin and we become captured. But when we get out again, guess what sin does? Sin does not say, you've done, 
I'm good, I got you. Sin continues to entice and say, no, maybe this time you can actually get away with it. Maybe this time won't be as bad. Maybe this time it's fine. What you are doing is you're licking more and more of that blood on the blade. Joseph was wise. He avoided and he ran. This is how we fight. We pray that God would give us strength and or people to help us, people to aid you. We pray for a people and a group that holds each other accountable. And when I was a young man, I had a group, and we would just ask each other these very, very um, upfront questions. How are you today? How are you today, Eugene? Did you think about anything inappropriate? Did you do anything inappropriate? And we were able to share with each other and hold each other accountable only to really encourage each other, not to condemn, but to encourage each other to fight this fight. The way we also fight is we fight corporately too, as a group. Um, A month ago, I think now from today, we had someone come in from IJM, International Justice Justice, um, Mission. And earlier this month, uh, they went to Chennai, India. And Christianity Today, you can look it up, reported that IGM rescued more than 560 people. 200 of them were children under the age of 5. And this time was especially different because they were able to arrest the owner and five others. And they were going to be prosecuted under Indian law. And there is a movement to show us that this is wrong. But don't you see the hypocrisy if we say, look, I can do this in my private time, but socially, uh, let's fight this. It needs to be comprehensive. It needs to be whole. Because you can't go and say you can do this sin. You can't like kill somebody, murder someone, and then say, look, I'm going to fight against murder as a whole. Because all these things are connected. Don't you see? So there were actually another one that I found yesterday in Queens. If anybody has lived in Queens like me, um, you could drive down a street, and it's very shady, very shady street. And so when I had to go from Flushing to Fresh Meadows, because I lived in Fresh Meadows and my church was in Flushing, I'd always drive down this one street, and it would always be these weird Korean parlors. Um, and we knew they were shady. And then when I would tell my friends in Jersey at the time, they would tell me, oh, Jersey's not that different. Did you know that if you go down Route 63, there's this one restaurant that everybody goes to. They love it. But if you go downstairs, it's a massage parlor. It's like, I did not know that. And... Um, There are places like that some older gentlemen here might be familiar with. This is a travesty in our society that it's right next door, and we have to fight it. Um, Yesterday, however, in Queens, there were 17 arrests made in Flushing and Whitestone for all these illegal massage parlors. Why are we doing this, though? Why do we fight? Just to be prudish? Just to say you can't enjoy what you really want to enjoy? But we are doing this so that we can truly enjoy what God has for us as people. 
We're not doing this to keep joy. We are doing this so that we can have joy. And there is no greater joy than to listen to God and try it out. Be with somebody for 60 years. Um, I put this on Facebook a while back. But I was astonished when I went to the gym and I saw this one man. Uh, He was an older gentleman in his 60s. Uh, his hair was already all white, of course, and he was a little hunched back, and he couldn't have been more than 140 or 150 pounds, a shorter gentleman. And there were only two benches there, and if you don't know what a bench is, it's when you lie on your back and you push up a weight. We call that the bench press. And I was on one, and there was another gentleman on another. And, you know, I, you know, I was. He, I can tell he was waiting for one of the benches to become free. And in my mind, I was like, oh, I hope he doesn't ask to work in with me because I'm at this weight, and he obviously, I'm going to have to change some weights and pull some weights out. So I, was, I actually thought that. And there was another gentleman next to me who was using the bench, and he had a, a smaller weight on. Not that much smaller, but a smaller weight. And it was 185 pounds. That's how many of the guys here way so after like two minutes of just waiting he just goes to the other bench and says can i work in with you and then the guy's like um okay it's like what weight should i put on and then he said no just leave the weight on no warm-up no warm-up even for us guys that are working out that's incredible to just get on the bench and he started repping that means he started pushing 185 pounds that's incredible. And I was just like, what is going on? Am I in the twilight zone? What's going on? And after he was done, I was like, wow, I guess maybe he was warm and he's, he's good. He just wanted to finish up. So I was just still doing my set. And then the guy puts on 200 pounds. And then he does it. And then the older gentleman, he goes and does it again. He does reps of 200-something pounds. And then... 225 pounds and the older gentleman like I told you he goes and does 225 pounds for about 10 times for five sets and I was just astonished I was like who is this man so I had to talk to him like I I don't usually talk to people in the gym but I had to talk to him and I said sir that is impressive and then he said what's impressive and he looked at me like what What's impressive? And I was like, uh, now I have to figure out because if I say it's impressive as an old man you're lifting weight, that's offensive. So I couldn't say that. So I said, oh, I noticed, and this is the political side of me, right? I noticed that he was wearing his wedding ring. And so he was, he was pushing all that weight with his wedding ring. And so I said, I was impressed because you were uh, lifting with your wedding band on. And he's like, Oh, yeah, 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 you know. I was like, doesn't it hurt your hand? He's like, no, no, no. It doesn't hurt my hand. My marriage hurts my hand. My, uh, my marriage hurts. It hurts a lot. But it doesn't hurt me when I lift. I was like, oh, okay. Um, that's, that's, that's great. He's like, and so I was like, do you do any other lifts? Do you squat or do you do deadlift? And he actually does. And, like, and I said, doesn't it hurt when you deadlift? And deadlift is when you actually pull a weight off of the floor and he said, actually, it hurts a lot when I deadlift with my ring on. And, and then I said, oh, then you must take off the ring when you deadlift. He's like, no, no, no. 
I never take off my ring. Uh, you know, sometimes I want to die because I'm married, but I never take off the ring. And I was just amazed that this man respected and honored his marriage so much that even though he would love exercising and lifting in his 60s as such a he was so light I, I still don't understand how this is physically possible but he would never take off his wedding ring for any reason and to me i saw that as an incredible honor even though his wife isn't looking this is how i honor you with as much years i'm with you i'm going to honor you wherever i am the whole person of who you are, even though we contradict each other, even though we hate each other at times, it's not the opposite of love. And I love you and I show it by wearing this wedding ring. And he did. And that's what it said to me. God makes this covenant with us. He has given us this covenant saying, no matter what, even though it hurts me, I will still keep my vow to you. And it wasn't just a hand that hurt. You know, this Palm Sunday, what we are truly celebrating is when Jesus triumphantly enters into Jerusalem, what is happening is he is entering and he is entering into a time of incredible, incredible passion, incredible pain, suffering. And he did it with you in mind. He he entered triumphantly to suffer. As we enter into this holy week, let's remember the seven killjoys that would try to deceive us where we have failed. And it has deceived us in many ways. But more importantly, let's remember Jesus who walked the road of suffering so that we can be free and that we can have the strength to fight what is ahead of us. And the promise that we have is since God will not let you go, you will never ultimately fail. You will be there with him. That's why it's important to fight. Because he is slowly changing you. And he is slowly changing something within your soul, your very soul. And it's becoming renewed day by day. And one day you will be like him, it says in the Bible. Where you won't see something, and immediately be pulled into its deception. But in fact, we could say, no! What it does is it kills my joy, and I want my complete joy in God. Let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for what you have given to us. Not just knowledge of what destroys and kills our joy but Lord God the strength the tools the know-how to fight it but also the promise that we will ultimately be victorious in Christ that we do not have to despair if we have fallen before but Lord you give us hope that tomorrow is a new day with new mercy with a new covering and so we ask that you would be with us as we lift up our lives to you be with us this holy week help us to remember the walk you walked so that we can walk with you also 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.